Good morning. My name is Bruce and my wife Christy, and if you haven't been here the last two weeks, uh, we are the guest fill-ins while Justin's on sabbatical. Good job uh, having him have a sabbatical to reset and refresh his spirit in helping to shepherd and lead uh, this church family. Excellent. And thank you for inviting us up. The count, I know you're dying to know, the count now is at 31 moose seen since we've been here. Seen 31. That Little known fact, as a kid, I was called Bruce the Moose by my mother, so it's okay. She loves me. Um, we're at 31 moose, four bear, 10 or 11 eagles, um, and then a bunch when we did the fjords thing, we, we saw a bunch of other things. This is a beautiful, amazing place. I wish you all could have seen our two grandkids. They left yesterday, uh, last night. Yesterday we went to Portage to, on the way to the airport, we went to the Burns Glacier Trail, I think, and, um, and went, and they played on the snow for an hour and a half. It was, uh, it was wonderful. This has been a great gift. Uh, we've loved getting to meet and uh, getting to visit with a bunch of you, the cookout, and over these three Sundays, so thank you. Uh, we're going to continue talking about forgiveness today. Um, they looked like the perfect couple. They looked like they had a model marriage. Most people thought they did. He owned and managed a very profitable fast food franchise. She led a Christian ministry to women, over 100 employees. Uh, she wrote books, spoke at conferences. Uh, everything was wonderful. They were interviewed together on Focus on the Family multiple times about marriage and how to deal with conflict. And then the other shoe dropped. And his secret life over many, many years, their, their whole marriage, his secret life full of pornography and a string of sexual affairs came out in the open. She was devastated, she was angry, she went into depression, she felt exposed and betrayed. How do you get to the point where you can forgive being sinned against so persistently, so horribly? Uh, closer to home, uh, I'm a child of divorce, oldest of five brothers, all boys. Uh, brother four and I uh, and our wives, we were together. Uh, about a year ago, having a conversation about uh, the impact of our dad was uh, verbally and physically abusive toward mom. The marriage finally uh, blew up, uh, and we're seven years apart. We sat and had that conversation about the way that dad's sin had impacted each of us, and we told stories that the other person had never even heard. See, his sin impacted each of us differently. It impacted each of us profoundly. But even more profound was God's grace, which enabled us to offer forgiveness to dad. And each of us have done that. He, he's passed away decades ago, but we were each impacted in different ways. How do you get to the point of being able to forgive horrible even persistent, deep sin and its impact on you. Well, God's word has a lot to say. And we've spent a couple of weeks, our first week, 
we dealt with the definition of forgiveness and we were at the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Ooh. And uh, we said every time you're sinned against, there's a choice. You can choose, keep record of wrongs, uh, hold it over their head, wait to get revenge, or you can choose to let it go. To forgive, to pay the price that comes with forgiveness. Uh, we looked at this definition uh, of forgiveness. It's releasing the person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me or sinned against me. Forgiveness is I pay what you owe. Then there's a second choice. And uh, we looked last week at the beginning of Matthew 18. That's where we're going to be again today. So if you'd open up to Matthew 18 in your Bible, uh, on your device, Matthew chapter 18, and we talked about God calling us to care about the person enough to deal with the damage done. So I make the choice. Nope, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to pay the price and forgive. There's a second choice. And that is, do I say, well, I've forgiven the person, but I want nothing to do with them. Aren't you glad God didn't say that about you? I'm glad he didn't say it about me. Or we can make the choice, the first half of Matthew 18 is all about caring about where there is sin and caring about the person enough to want to deal with the damage done so that the person is restored to God vertically and restored as much as is possible with us horizontally. So that was the first two weeks. That makes you ask a question. We say, okay, well, this thing of forgiveness, um, how do I, how much of it am I supposed to be obligated to? So verse 21, after Jesus has said, you're willing in verse 15, 16, 17, to have the hard, awkward, messy conversations because you want to see restoration. You want to see the heart and relationship restored. Um, that begs the question that Peter asks Jesus in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Well, that's a uh, very noble. Uh, the, the rabbis in that day debated, and their conclusion was, forgive someone three times, but you aren't obligated to forgive them the fourth. Three, but that's it. So Peter's doing really well. How about seven? Jesus, that, that good? Does that show how loving we are? And Jesus' answer comes and blows him away. Now, as Peter asks that question, um, there's another passage that we have in the Gospels, and it is in Luke 17. Uh, let's look at the first few verses. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Because last week, that's chapter 18 in Matthew, verses 6 to 9. And then, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, they change their mind. 
They turn away from their sin, turn back toward God. Forgive them. Well, uh, how do I know if they've actually repented? Time will tell that. Uh, But in this case, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Well, wait a minute. If it's seven in a row, I, I begin to question whether it's actual repentance. Do I really have to forgive? Jesus says you must forgive them. And the disciples go, oh, uh, increase our faith because where it's at right now, we don't want to forgive that many times. Over and over and over. See, it's the same question that Peter has asked. How many times should we forgive? Well, Jesus gives an answer. Verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. What? Really? Why would you do that? How do you do that? And then he tells a story. And the story is a parable. Uh, Parables are just earthly stories, things we're familiar with, that have a spiritual meaning to them. So he tells the story starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom... This is all explaining why he said 77 limitless. You keep on forgiving because that's what your heavenly father has done. That's what he does. You keep on forgiving. So he tells the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That, by the way, wouldn't even come close to a fraction of what the man owed. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Told everything that had happened. The first person in the story is the indebted and hopeless servant. He's probably, the word servant here, is uh, he's probably a provincial governor. He's responsible for collecting taxes. Um, And so, he deals with a lot of money. Well, 10,000 talents has disappeared. One talent is 1,000 weeks of work. 20 years of labor if you get two weeks of vacation every year. 10,000 times 20 years. Do the math. Impossible debt to pay back. He can't pay it back. In hundreds of lifetimes, he can't pay it back. 
Who does this servant represent in the story? Us. Us with our sin. We can't work it off. We can't pay off the debt ourselves. We need a Savior to pay the debt for us. And that's the wonder and the good news of the gospel. God sent his son to pay the price and offer us forgiveness and offer us right relationship with him. We're the first servant. Been forgiven. Second person in the story is the merciful king. Verse 27. The master's heart was moved with pity. That's the same word that is translated compassion in Matthew 9. When Jesus looks on the crowds and it says he had compassion on them because he saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion in Matthew 9, pity here, it's that same emotion that is in the heart of God toward us. Pity and compassion in the story Uh, This is the hero of forgiveness. Who does the king represent in the story? It's God. Yeah, it's God. He's the hero of forgiveness. He has forgiven far more than we we would ever be asked to forgive. There's no comparison. He forgave the servant his debt. He canceled the loan for him. He paid the price. And speaking to him this week, they said, and a couple of you have asked questions. Uh, you've engaged this topic of forgiveness really well and had conversations and asked really good questions. It's because we all, this is what we swim in. We live in a broken world. And even if you take people that love each other within the church family, you've got two forgiven sinners. In a marriage, we love each other, but we still bump into each other and there needs to be forgiveness offered. We all live in the midst of this and we know what's in our own hearts. Um, One of the questions that was asked, well, explain paying the price. I mean, Jesus is the one that paid the price. What price do we pay? When we choose to forgive, we pay a price relationally. May have changed the relationship. We pay a price emotionally. We live with the scars. My brothers and I forgave dad, but we still live with the impact of that on us. And we pay the price because we accept living with the consequences. Somebody in speaking team this week said, yeah, um, if your daughter gets pregnant uh, before marriage and the guy is out of the picture, you forgive, but you're still going to live at least 18 years with consequences after math. Things have changed uh, because of it. In forgiveness, we pay the price. Who paid the price in the story, in the parable? The king. He's out 10,000 talents. He takes the loss. When he says, I forgive the debt, he takes the loss. 
He pays the price. It's a good spot to remind ourselves about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Um, I don't wait till I feel like forgiving. It's not forgetting. God, when he forgives us, he doesn't forget anything. God's infinitely wise. There is no forgetting. He just doesn't hold it against us anymore. And it's not excusing. Pretending the sin made no difference. It made a difference. The price needs to be paid. Uh, forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of the will. Some of us choose, no, I'd rather hold it over them. I'd rather keep score. I'd rather wait for revenge. Uh, but it's making the choice. Nope. Uh, I have let go of this. It's up to God to settle scores, judge, inflict punishment. That's up to him, not me. Forgiveness is setting a captive free. Um, and then realizing we're the ones set free. Because unforgiveness is I'm stuck in the anger, the frustration. I like the way David Paulison describes it. He says, um, when we're sinned against, uh, we, we tend to replay it. And we had the conversation in our head of what we'd like to say to that person. And, well, how could they ever do that to me? And I can't believe they treated me that way. And we play this conversation in our head, and then we become judicial. Uh, we have in our heads this microcosm. We've got a little courtroom set up in our heads. And in that courtroom, we are the victim, and we are the prosecuting attorney, and we are the witness for the prosecution, and we are the judge, and we are the jury, and we are the jailer, and we are the hangman. But it's a kangaroo court. And who, who's actually kept in bondage in the midst of that? We are. We are. There's freedom and forgiveness. We're in the weekend where we celebrate uh, this amazing nation and the freedoms that have been earned for us and designed for us. And we are grateful and we celebrate freedom July 4th. But the freedom we get and the forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ is so much better and bigger because it changes our souls and it changes our eternity. Forgiveness is paying the price. I agree. I will live with the consequences of what has happened. We all live with the consequences of somebody else's sin. The choice is do it in the bondage of bitterness or live with the consequences and the freedom of forgiveness. The way the Yerkovichs say it, Mylan and Kay, everybody pays the price. You get to pick the pain. Pick the pain. You live with the pain of being sinned against. You live with the scars. You live with the emotional pain of, of how you were treated. Or you live with the pain of bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, uh, distance relationally. Pick the pain. And of course, Jesus in this story is saying, take this one. This one damages your soul. Pick this one. 
Uh, the lady I talked about at the beginning when the rest of the story of her husband's secret life came up. She came up, uh, she talked about forgiveness and said it is both um, a decision and a process. Several people have written about this. Decision and process. That first choice, am I going to try and get even or am I going to forgive? Nope, I make the choice to forgive. Now I've got to live out that forgiveness um, in my attitude toward God and my attitude toward that other person. And the process of living that out, uh, this wife knew, even sinned against the way she had been. Uh, I've got to forgive. She made the choice to forgive and then she worked at living out the process and boy was that difficult. And when we fail in the process, we go back to the point, no, I made the choice to forgive. And then we live out the process and when we get angry again or we replay it in our heads or we create the courtroom in our heads again, now we go back no, I chose to forgive, and I'm going to live that out. Her definition of forgiveness uh, is this. I forgive this person for how their actions back then are still impacting me now. And whatever my feelings, this is the part I really like, whatever my feelings don't yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover. Uh, I recognize I've got to live out that process, and it's hard, but the blood of Jesus is enough. The price has been paid. Forgiveness is four promises. These come from Ken Sandy. It's, I promise not to dwell on it or brood over it. Any brooders? Willing to admit it? Now, my bride is amazing. When we have a conflict, she says it, gets it off her chest, and five minutes later, she doesn't even remember what she said. Great gift. That's the way God wired her. Um, she doesn't hold things against me or others. I'm a brooder. So when I forgive, I have to remind myself, I made a promise I'm not going to replay this. I'm not going to go back to it. I'm not going to replay it in my head. There's a second promise. I promise not to bring it up and use it against you. It's the well, I'm still not over when you did this back. Or, uh, well, yeah, I might have been wrong now, but do you remember what you did? Um, no, when I make the choice to forgive, I make a promise I'm not going to use it in the future against you. I'm not going to talk to others about it. And the last one, it's a promise not to let the sin stand between us or hinder our relationship. This one needs some explaining. So, what about when the sin has involved abuse? Caveat, the word abuse today can mean anything. I disagree with you. I feel unsafe and abused. I'm talking real abuse, uh, like my mom experienced, where uh, a spouse, kids, they aren't safe this is dangerous. So when I make the promise and I say, I'm going to forgive, um, do I jump back into the relationship? Do I move back home? Do I let him move back home? Do we just hit the reset button and pretend nothing happened? Um, this is a posture of my heart. I want, it's what we talked about last week. I want to see things restored. But there has to be some kind of change, repentance. I can be restored so far... 
Uh, but I'm saying I'm not going to allow what happened before to a barrier, be a barrier to seeking to restore that relationship. So uh, there will be things that have to be different. So my dad, we're married. We have our daughter. We hadn't had our son yet. Uh, my dad shifted into a stage where everything about the divorce and the dysfunction of the marriage in the home became my fault. I was the oldest of the five. So he shifted into this thing where he would just go on these rants. He could talk on the phone or in person for hours without taking a breath. And he was rehearsing everything about what I had sh should have done different as the oldest son and, the, and, and all the excuses for how he had... He was basically justifying everything about himself and deflecting all the, all the guilt over what had gone on. We had to set boundaries. Um... I want relationship with dad. So I said to him, I want relationship with you. We want you to come visit. We want you to know your granddaughter. But here's the deal. Here are the boundaries. When you come, if you shift into rehearsing everything, bad-mouthing mom or us, we're just going to say we're changing the subject. And if you can't change the subject, we'll lovingly ask you to leave. Because we want relationship but there needs to be a boundary to it. Um, sometimes it's dealing with the consequences after the sin. Um, and the other part about this, uh, this fourth promise, it's I'm putting myself in a position where I'm not going to burn the relational bridge. If they burn it, there's only so much I can do about it. But as I offer forgiveness, I'm saying... I'm not going to burn the bridge to restoring relationship with you. So a couple uh, of our friends, uh, their daughter through high school, college, decided she was gay, then decided she was trans. She's now ready to have surgery. I'm uh, going to remove body parts. This couple, uh, the parents have been absolutely amazing. They've been clear about what's sin. They've been clear about convictions, been clear about wanting, she chucked her faith long ago. But they are still walking with Jesus and loving her back to Jesus unconditionally. But dad recently said, I need to have a conversation with her and let her know. You're going places we can't follow. We love you. That is never going to change. But you are making choices right now that will change our relationship. They aren't going to burn the bridge. She is burning some bridges. So um, don't read number four as, oh, we just hit reset and we go on like nothing happened. There are situations that are messy. You probably need help navigating those with your community group, with your pastors, with your elders. Seek advice. Ask for biblical advice and direction. So we make the promises. And last thing I want to say about forgiveness, it's miraculous. It's supernatural. We would on our own stay in our, I have my rights and you violated them and how dare you treat me like that. That's natural. The supernatural is when Jesus has transformed us, our forgiveness, his forgiveness to us has changed our lives. We now live different. When we forgive, we're imitating Jesus, forgiving us. 
That's a good thing. It's the mystery and the wonder of the gospel. How does God keep loving us? Sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Because of the nature of his love. It's loyal, covenant, pursuing love. He never gives up loving us. Well, um, we need to pay attention a minute to the other character. Uh, The first servant now becomes the unforgiving servant. And he goes out and he finds uh, servant number two. An interesting sequence, he describes it as he chokes him first and then he talks to him. (laughs) Pay me what you owe. 100 denarii. One six hundred thousandth of what he's just been forgiven. What should this guy have been doing right now? Should have been offering forgiveness. Um, The second servant says exactly the same words. Please be patient with me. I will pay back all I owe. And instead, he's cruel and harsh and has him thrown into jail in the story. Um, Who does that servant represent in the story? It's what we become when we're unforgiving. We choke, and then we have the conversation, and then we want to punish The uh, servant wanted the forgiveness of the king, but he wasn't willing to extend it to others. And the word here is, he was and he remained unwilling to forgive. Unforgiveness is cancer of the soul. It's a tumor that needs to be removed. Forgiveness is freedom for our souls. Freedom? Tumor. Tumor. Which one do we want? So the lesson in this story told by Jesus is beware unforgiveness. It will eat away at your soul. Don't be that first servant saying, give me forgiveness, but I won't give it. I want to receive it, but I'm not going to offer it. Beware unforgiveness. Had a couple in my office two Memorial Days ago. The wife showed up, knocked on her door, sat on her porch, said, married 15 years. It's been horrible the whole 15 years. Now he says he's going to divorce me. Um, led to a whole series of meetings. And we were in, a, uh, in that series of meetings, learned nine years earlier, she had had an emotional affair, very brief sexual affair, had confessed those to her husband, two others. Um, nine years later, he decides he's going to blow up the marriage, blow up the family. Kids are now in middle school and high school. We're having the Matthew eighteen seventeen conversation in my office. Husband and wife sitting four feet apart, two other elders, great guys, speaking truth, loving. All three of us, the two elders and me, we're all saying, we beg you, you need to offer forgiveness. Uh, These things that happened nine years ago, that isn't the problem in your marriage. Your problem is you haven't done anything about it. Uh, You've got something to fight for here. Don't blow this up. 
his posture, the entire conversation, he's sitting across the desk from me. We pleaded with him, we begged. Unforgiveness is cancer of the soul. I finally blew a gasket. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often with me. The other two guys were saying things they were really kind and loving and still trying to persuade him. See, who's the problem in that marriage? They both are. Yeah, her unfaithfulness years ago, his refusal to do anything about it. And he said, yep, nine years ago I checked out. I've just been waiting for the kids to get older, now I'm out. He felt justified. It was her that was unfaithful. And so um, he proceeded with divorce, had his girlfriend move in, and his kids are supposed to be fine with this. Think they are? No. No way. No way. In fact, the daughter said to me, can you help me understand how to forgive my dad? Great. She's wrestling with exactly what God wants her to wrestle with. So, back to the story. I blew a gasket. I leaned across the desk. I said, who do you think you are? You both profess to know Jesus. You're supposedly following Jesus. You, husband, should be on your knees beside that chair, crying out to God and then to your wife and then to us saying, I can't believe I've become this as a husband. I can't believe my heart has become this heart and hard. How did I get there? God, please help me. Refused. You refused. Jesus is saying, beware unforgiveness. The biggest excuse that feeds unforgiveness, his was, well, she's a sinner, not me. The thing that causes us to not want to offer forgiveness is we have an inadequate view of our own sin. We've undersold ours. We think we're the hundred denarii person. We almost never see ourselves as a 10,000 talent person. But what's the truth? The truth is we're the 10,000 talent person who's been offered forgiveness by God. Well, the merciful king, he's now angry. He's ticked. Verse 32, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The inferred answer is, of course. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, this is the only time that shows up, that word, uh, being the torturing. We don't know what happened. It's a story. So Jesus leaves it there. It's what's in James chapter 2. Judgment without mercy will be shown to the person unwilling to show mercy. And so what's the point? It's verse 35. The point is verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's exactly what was said in Matthew 6 at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We are called to be merciful. And it's only the gospel that allows for and empowers debt-free living. Meaning, I treat others as though they have no debt toward me. I've offered forgiveness. I walk with God, walk in relationship with God. There isn't a debt. He's forgiven me. I'm clean before him because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of what Jesus did at the cross. Only the gospel offers and empowers debt-free living. Some resources. Um, Most of these three sermons have come from these resources. So uh, somebody today, I want you to take home with you. If you'll read it, and if you need it, I don't want to take this back home with me. This is one of the books, first thing listed here. We use it, uh, our soul care team in our church uses it, and we give it to people. The best thing in the book, it's the story. It's written by the lady whose story I told at the beginning, the lady and her husband. Um, best thing about it is the appendix. Every passage in the New Testament dealing with forgiveness and her talking about how that impacted her and her journey, uh, the process of forgiveness. So. Uh, Whoever gets up here first, and we'll read it, take it with you today, please. Um, Second one, point three, step three of the Steps to Freedom in Christ by Neil Anderson. There you go, grab it. Awesome. I'll put this back up uh, at the end of the service, so if you want to take a shot of it or write them down, you can. Uh, Step three is all about uh, bitterness or forgiveness. It's excellent. You can find it on YouTube. It's available online. FICM.org is where you find it. And Have the Funeral. Best series, two-part sermon series I've ever heard on forgiveness. Former pastor James McDonald, he then crashed and burned and had a bunch of problems. But the sermons from 13 years ago are wonderful. <laughs> None of us are above it. We all need forgiveness. Um, anyways, these are resources. If you're stuck, talk to the pastors, the elders, talk to your community group, move from unforgiveness to forgiveness, and these are great resources to help. So, action steps. There is freedom, debt-free living. Jesus offers us forgiveness and empowers us to offer it to others. What if, what if we're known, our reputation, Love it if the reputation of this church family, it's got a good reputation in town. I know that from being here for a couple of weeks. And uh, people that we bumped into, people we bumped into in Denali. Um, Anyways, the uh, reputation of they're quick to forgive. They love each other well. They're quick to forgive their spouse, their family members, their coworkers. They offer grace and mercy like the king did here. That's the reputation that we want. Um, The lady, Lisa, was asked the question by her counselor, one of their meetings. So are you ready to heal? She said, yes, I am. So he said, okay, here's your assignment. Between now and next week, you take this stack of cards You're going to go home and write down one of the ways your husband has sinned against you and hurt you. 
one on each card. Boy, it was a tough week because there was a lot to write down. And, and she was trying to put all these things behind her, and she now had to rehearse them in her head and write them down. She brings the stack to the counselor. And the next week, their counseling session, the counselor is walking around, and he's reading through the cards and setting them down on the floor, one by one. And he uh, keeps going through the whole stack, and uh, he fills up his office floor with these. And then he hands her a stack of red pieces of felt. And says, okay, now I want you to go around and the ones you're ready and willing to forgive, uh, cover them up. Does the blood of Jesus cover it or not? There's her definition again. And so she went around and thought, yep, yep, okay, covered. I've forgiven that, yep. I forgive it. Well, that one, boy, that's tough. I don't feel like forgiving that. Second sentence. Yep, but Jesus' blood covers that one. Yep, and I've forgiven this one. And I've forgiven this one. And it went on and on and on. Remember his question? The counselor's question? Ready to heal? And the whole point was recognizing what Jesus did at the cross is adequate cover for whatever's happened in the past, whatever was done to you, whatever you've done towards someone else. It's covered. Covered. That started into a process of healing for her. 18 months later, they had a vow renewal ceremony. Uh, I think they actually divorced, and then this was coming back together and getting remarried. Um, he divorced her. Now they got remarried 18 months later. Glorious. Amazing. Set free. Debt free. But even when there has been forgiveness offered, it doesn't guarantee the other person is going to get it and change and that everything can be restored. It doesn't always have a Disneyland ending. This is part two of their story. Part three he went right back, as Jesus warns often happens, went right back into all his junk. Um, and it all disintegrated. And her pastor and her elders finally told her, nope, you need to re-divorce. Divorce, remarriage, re-divorce. Some of the stuff he did was just preposterous. He racked up all kinds of debt with his habits and what he was involved in. He went to court in the divorce proceedings, wanted her to pay his debt from what she makes from her ministry. See, that's the same response we have in this story, too. You're forgiven 10,000 talents, and then you want to go choke the guy? And you know what's going to happen in her heart? She's written follow-up books to that one. Uh, her heart, because Jesus has called her to it, and because of what Jesus has forgiven her, she's forgiven her ex-husband and walking in freedom. That's what God can do. Now, remember our biggest obstacle? It's when we say, uh, their sin's worse than mine. An inadequate view of our own sin. 
So these three weeks have been calling us to forgiveness and walking free. And what allows us to do that is understanding what we've been forgiven. See, if this exercise happened and we were going to put down on a piece of paper each of our sins that Jesus has had to forgive, that God has been willing in Christ to forgive, forgive one another, Ephesians 4.31, forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. How many pieces of paper do I need? When we understand our own hearts, when we understand what he's forgiven us, it opens the pathway to making the choice to forgive and to seek restoration. Let's pray. God, we come to you as people that on our own, we want to lick our wounds, we want to keep score. We want, to, uh, we want others to acknowledge how much we've been hurt and the damage that's been done. But you've changed us and transformed us and called us into walking in a newness of life that's transformed because of the forgiveness you've given to us in Jesus. Thank you that the shed blood of Jesus covers anything in our past, anything we've done, anything that's been done to us. And it is enough. We want to be people who um, glory in the amazing forgiveness you've given to us and then pass it on to others quickly, willingly, making the choice. We need your help to do that. And so we ask for your Spirit's work in, the heart, in each of our hearts We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.